everyone. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. We hope that you find encouragement today as you listen. Well, amen. It is fall. It feels like fall, doesn't it? Uh, it's good to see you. I've, I know some of us have been gone traveling the last few weeks. We had a holiday last weekend, and uh, boy, there's just something about the cooler nights. I, I, haven't, I haven't run our air conditioning, I don't think, for a few weeks. Maybe you haven't run yours all summer. You're tougher than I am. Uh, like my father-in-law, Zane, who comes from Texas, uh, you know, and where it, like, it's probably 110 degrees right now, and he just doesn't run his air. He says, this is cool just as it is, and so when I go over to help him, my wife calls ahead and says, turn on the air conditioner, uh, Brian's coming, uh, but <clears throat> he's tougher than I am when it comes to this, but it is a good season. I mean, you've got your border ba- battles, you've got the Bears and the Packers, we don't need to talk much about that. It was ugly for all of us. Sorry, Bear fans. Uh, uh, I, I, I like your chances. You got a great defense. Uh, I like our quarterback a little bit better, but let's not go any further than that. Um, and then, of course, you have the Cubs and, and the Brewers, and we're up 2-1, but you guys could even it up, and we're chasing you. You're heading to the playoffs. So these are all the exciting things that you maybe think are important. I enjoy following that. But what we want to see importance in and discover importance in is who Jesus is. And I'm reminded of, uh, of the one place in Matthew's gospel, I believe it's chapter 16, where Jesus takes his, his disciples on a field trip up into the region of Caesarea Philippi, north of the Galilee, the Sea of Galilee. And he asks this question, who, what's the word on the street? Who do people say that I am? And the response is, well, some are saying, you know, like John the Baptist reincarnate or your Isaiah or other great prophets. And then, uh, and then he asks the question more pointedly to his 12 disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter speaks up and uh, I think he was inspired by the Lord or the Holy Spirit, I guess. And he said, you are the Christ, you are the promised one, the Messiah, the one uh, sent by God. All that would be probably under the title Christ, uh, uh, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, man, you're spot on, Peter. He didn't say it quite like that. But he says, uh, your, your, your human intellect didn't give you, give that, give you that revelation, but my, my father in heaven and uh, Peter that day defined the real Jesus. And I thought, what a great opportunity this fall to go on a journey through the Gospel of John together to discover the real Jesus. Uh, Because everybody has an idea of who Jesus is. Uh, Sometimes we just want to kind of pack Jesus in our back pocket and and kind of attach him to wherever we're going. But when you read the Gospels, it's not about where we're going, it's where he's going and trying to follow him. He's the teacher He's our Lord, and we uh, stick close to his heels, and we follow his path as he leads us. Uh, But oftentimes in our own humanity, we like to just kind of say, oh, yeah, kind of like the guy I was golfing with last Sunday. Um, I don't like to tell people what I do, uh, but it always comes up. It came up at around the eighth or ninth hole after he dropped a half dozen F-bombs, okay? And... uh, and so he said, what do you do for a living? I said, well, I pastor this church in Madison, right on the main drag. And he goes, oh, great. And I guess he'd been counting, all right? He says, after five F-bombs. I said, hey, listen, no problem. Uh, and there wasn't another one for the rest of the round of golf. <laughs> and, uh, uh, but see, it turns out that he's a follower of the Lord. He just took off his, 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 his Jesus when he picked up his golf clubs because he told me where his kids went to private school, Christian school, and the church he went to in Bloomington, Illinois, and all these things. And, and hey, we've all been guilty of that at times. You know, we kind of we check out a church and we just kind of leave Jesus in the, in the chair with, you know, and, and then we just go and, uh, 
and, and, and then maybe we want to pick him up when we want to attach him to something, but that's not the real Jesus. And the Gospel of John is a great place to go in search of the real Jesus. In fact, the central theme, Jesus is the Son of God who reveals the Father, providing eternal life to all who believe. I like that. That's kind of the overarching theme of this beautiful gospel, which is just, uh, it's, it's very unique as we're going to see. Now, forgive me, I'm going to give you kind of a long introduction. I go 100 miles an hour, and you can listen to the podcast if you want to take notes on this, because you're not going to be able to write fast enough. And then I'm going to get into some stuff that I think is really applicational and something we can take home with us today in just the introduction to the first 18 verses uh, of, 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 of this gospel of John chapter one, okay? If you've got a Bible or if you've got a smartphone, open to your smartphone to John chapter one or there's Bibles in the pews, I want you guys to trace, track along with me, okay? Here's something else. And one, one, uh, one theologian, New Testament scholar says it this way, countless people down the centuries have found that through reading this gospel of John, the figure of Jesus becomes real for them, full of warmth and light and promise. I like that. I like the way that's being said, all right? Now, who is, uh, what is this gospel? Who authored it? Uh, the tradition in the church, and most people believe that it's the disciple named John, John the disciple, and toward, is probably written toward the uh, end of the first century. In fact, we find that towards the end of the second century, a man by the name of Irenaeus, who was the disciple of Polycarp, who was the disciple of John the disciple, okay? So that's kind of like he was the, grandson of John the disciple. All right, you with me on that one? Here's what he said. Afterwards, John the disciple of the Lord, who also had leaned upon his breast, that's at the, that's at the last supper. You know, John was closest and just kind of probably a little sleepy and he's crashing on Jesus' shoulder or whatever. And, and he says, uh, did himself publish a gospel during his residence at Ephesus in Asia? All right. And that was, this guy lived between 130 uh, and 202, and John probably died towards the end of the first century, between 90 and 100, depending on how old he lived, okay? So that's what, that's what the church has told us. That's what tradition tells us. This was actually written. You can find these words of this uh, leader, Irenaeus. And uh, uh, also, I think, it's, uh, I think it's important that we understand it's the last gospel written. The other three gospels had already been published, uh, had been written, had been probably being circulated, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But John is unique amongst the gospels. It's written with a very simple style, and yet the vocabulary is simple, but yet there's such profundity. It has deep theological truth, deep, probably much deeper, you could say, than the, the other gospels. Clement of Alexandria, who lived uh, between 150 and 215 AD, he referred to John's uh, gospel as a spiritual gospel. All right, isn't that interesting? Didn't say that about the other three. He said it's a spiritual gospel. In fact, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which are called the synoptic gospels. Okay, you, I'm going to say this, so I want you to understand in case you don't know. Synoptic means sin. It's taken from the Greek word, two words, sin together and Opsis, you know, optical to view. They go to an optician, ophthalmologist, I guess, to get your eyes checked, right? So it's kind of viewing together. And so when you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you'll note that they're almost identical. Many believe that Mark was kind of the, you know, kind of the tip of the spear, and Matthew and, and Luke kind of wrote, and they kind of wrote to their own audiences, but using a lot and kind of that same formula, that same 
temple that we find in Mark, and they're beautiful, and they're beautiful testimonies, unique, but so much the same in the synoptic gospels. But then along comes John. Get this, 90% of the gospel of John that you hold there, if you've got your Bibles open, or if you're scrolling through your smart device, 90% is unique. It's not found in the synoptics. That means there's 20 chapters. That means you could take two chapters out of 20, and the other 18 would be all exclusive, all different, all new, a different viewpoint, things that aren't mentioned in the synoptic gospels. That's amazing, isn't it? Okay, and so in, in the synoptic teaching, you, it, you find a focus on the kingdom of God. And, and you find a focus of Jesus being the one who inaugurates, the one who launches the kingdom of God. But in John's gospel, only twice does he mention the kingdom of God. And again, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it's just filled with kingdom language and the kingdom of God and the king. And um, in, in John, Jesus speaks more openly about himself and his unique relationship with the Father. I like that. He talks about himself. You don't see it as much. In fact, there's always, was that a messianic sighting in Matthew or Mark or Luke? Is, is Jesus saying that he's the Messiah? Oh my goodness. John just opens the curtains and says, this is it. We are singing, I am the great I am. Uh, that, that last song, uh, that wonderful, or the second to the last song, beautiful statement of he's the one that is our source and our strength. Well, we're, I'm gonna show you some of the I am's. In fact, look at this. Here's what Jesus says. He talk about I am. I'm the bread, I'm the light, I'm the door, I'm the good shepherd, I'm the resurrection, I'm the way, the truth, the life, I am the vine. Seven times he gives I am statements, okay? We don't have to go back to the Old Testament searching for the great I am God. He's come forward in the New Testament and he's staring at us this morning as we bend again to read through the gospel of John. The great I am lives in us through the power of his spirit. We don't have to dream about the way the Israelites experienced I am on, on Mount Sinai. We get, to experience the, we get to experience this journey as we follow Jesus, the great I am. These are metaphorical descriptions in case you're wondering. He's not literally a door, all right, FYI, but you figured that out. You figured that out before we even had to, okay. Now, there's many differences between John and the synoptics. What's missing in John? Here's what's missing. Demonic encounters. You read that in the, in the synoptics. I mean, Jesus just deals with darkness. Bam! And they're gone. Isn't that cool? Not quite like that, but almost. Pow! You know, these dark demons are trying to destroy life. And Jesus comes in and they scream and they jump into pigs and all that quiet, crazy stuff. You don't see those, any demon sightings. You don't see parables. You don't see table fellowship with sinners. You don't see these key synoptic phrases like kingdom of God, as I told you, only occurs twice. You don't see Jesus' baptism. Although in the very first uh, chapter here that we're going to read, you kind of see John uh, uh, referring to it, John the Baptist, but we don't see a little baptism, which is very important in the synoptics. We don't see temptation or transfiguration or institution of the Lord's Supper. What? What are you doing, John? Something very important. And we are so glad for this gospel. What's exceptional in John? What's exceptional is water into wine doesn't show up in the other gospels. A conversation with Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman. Raising of Lazarus. Man, that is crazy, all right? Uh, Jesus, uh, a priestly prayer or washing his disciples' feet. Not found in the other gospels. A doubting Thomas. Have you ever been called a doubting Thomas? You can thank John for that this morning, okay? Extensive Judean ministry. If I had a map right here, if you've ever been to Israel or dream of going there, you've got the Sea of Galilee kind of to the north where the majority 
of the, of the miracles occurred. And then you had Judea, which was the area and the region of Jerusalem where Jesus would go down to the Passover. And John builds his narrative around three, possibly four Passovers over three, possibly three and a half years. And it seems to be all Judean ministry, which is exempt or basically non-existent in, uh, in, in the other gospels. So here's the thing. Here's your homework. Take a deep breath. At this time, you're saying, Pastor Brian, you need to take a deep breath. You are wound up this morning. I just have so much to cover. I'm so excited about this journey. But take, take some time. If you don't have a Bible, we've got these blue ones. And of course, there it is. And, and, and I'm sure you have a Bible. But if you don't, don't leave church without one. Take one of these and spend time with us together this, this, this semester. You say, semester? Yeah, take one or two chapters, take one or two chapters a week. Or maybe you want to take four or five chapters a week and start over when you're done. And let's read through John and read through John. Let's absorb John. Let's soak in John this amazing, amazing gospel that gives us such a beautiful picture of Jesus Christ and God, okay? So uh, that's your homework assignment. And uh, we will be tested uh, in December, okay? All right, so, uh, and as you read, one thing you need to be aware of is you're gonna discover miracles, but John doesn't call them miracles, he calls them signs, okay? We would call them miracles, but they're one and the same. And these things are amazing because look at them. You got water into wine, official son healed, pool of Bethesda healing. We used to be called Bethesda here. Uh, Bethany's going to talk about Bethesda in a couple weeks, I think. Feed of, feeding the 5,000, walking on water, healing blind man, Lazarus race. I highlighted in yellow the four that don't show up anywhere else in the, in the Gospels or in the New Testament. They're exclusive to John. Now, the other three are there. And there's actually an eighth one. We have seven signs, and so we want to have also, we have you know, seven IMs, we have seven signs, but there's actually an eighth sign, but it's post-resurrection. It's kind of an epilogue, kind of a closure where Jesus has breakfast with his disciples and he tells them to throw the net uh, on the other side of the boat and they have another great fishing outing with Jesus on the shore. And, uh, and that's the eighth. But those are the seven within the context of leading up to resurrection. And um, interesting, there's 37 miracles total listed in the Gospels four of them that are exclusive to John, all right? Uh, so John concludes, I think this is kind of cool. I just want you to see this. As you conclude your reading of John, maybe you're gonna read the whole thing in a day or a couple weeks or a month or whatever, but this is what you're gonna find, kind of a purpose, a, a driving purpose. Jesus says, it's, John says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of the disciples, his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written, the ones that have been recorded, I just listed seven of them, gave you an eighth one, are written that you may believe, uh, you may be able to say, that might be um, in, in, in your definition box, if you've got a study Bible, it may be continue to believe. Okay, so he's writing to probably believers, people who've already trusted in Christ, are following Christ, but that you may believe or continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So John waits to the very end of his witness to tell us the purpose. And that was through his life and the power of his life and 
and the definition of his personhood and his deity that we would experience life and that we would believe uh, in his name. So beautiful, huh? Uh, I think that's, that's a summation. Now let's dig into verse one of John chapter one. This is called a prologue. And there's 18 verses, and it just starts with this. In the beginning. We had a beginning last night. I'll tell you about it. Uh, in, in the bottom of the ninth, there was a double off the left field fence that scored a guy, for, and, we, and we beat the opposition, okay? That, I'm not talking about that beginning. We're talking about the very beginning of time, all right? We're talk, that's a really bad dad joke that, that I heard when I was a kid from a dad somewhere, okay? But this is not in the begin, beginning. It's the beginning where all began. And, and I'm not here to defend science or scientific creationism. I'm here to say, in the beginning, God created. God was the author of life in the very beginning. Matthew and Luke start at Bethlehem with a baby being born of a virgin and all the miracles that surround it. Mark starts at adulthood and baptism and temptation. John goes way back to the beginning and even before the beginning. And here's what we find in the beginning in the Hebrew text. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty and darkness. Look at this. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, okay? I don't care what you believe. I think there's room to believe whatever you want to believe as long as you confess Christ as Lord. Here's what I'm saying. What's most important is you understand what we believe is that in the beginning, God created. And we're going deeper this morning than that. And, uh, and I think... Uh, uh, as, as you see, God said, and, and if you were in Genesis right now, you'd recognize all these statements. God said, let there be light, and there was light. God said, let there be sky, and there was sky. Water, and there was sky. Let there be land, and there was land. Let there be sun, moon, stars, and there was sun, moon, stars. Let there be all kinds of creepy critters in the sea and on the land, and there was. Let there be, and there was. Proverbs chapter 18 talks about the power of the tongue and that there's life and death in the tongue. And we see at creation that let there be and there was, God spoke the world into existence. We believe that as followers of Jesus Christ. Now, he may have used all kinds of things. He may have done it in seven days or 100 billion years, but God did it. And the amazing thing that we see here, as John reveals it, is that Jesus was at the center of it all. In fact, in, 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 the, in verse 26 in that first chapter of Genesis, the very beginning of the, of the Old Testament, God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule uh, and, and, and over all creatures that move along the ground. So this authority, this dominion, this stewardship was given to God's creation. I put that let us because that's a trinity sighting. Now, to, up to this point, you've just seen a, a dinity or a duality or uh, uno, a, a, a dosality or see, ein zwei, a sviality. You've just seen the spirit of God and God speaking and the spirit hovering, right? So, Pastor Brian, you can't prove Trinity. You can't prove a mysterious Godhead in this thing yet. But hold on, 
Hold on, because we're getting there this morning, all right? Let us make man in our image. Uh, humanity, look at this, is different from all creation. Love creation, but be careful what you listen to in the popular culture. The, the spotted owl, and I love them. Never seen one. My cocker spaniel, who we put down on my birthday, the most beautiful little puppy you've ever seen, all right? He got sick and got old, but was not created in the image of God. God created man last and least, and most importantly, he breathed spirit into us. He created us into his image, and that's a whole sermon. But I want you to see that because, because something happened in chapter three of Genesis where we see sin entering the scene of the stage, man willfully sinning, and a broken image bearer. Rather than taking on in the beauty of, how does it say it here? In the image, in our, in, in our likeness, the plurality there of God speaking, making mankind in, the, in, in their likeness, in the, in the Trinity's likeness, uh, 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 the image is broken because of sin. Uh, there's, there's a distortion we are cracked image bearers. We are, we are wounded, all right? But God's plan to restore humanity was revealed the day that man sinned. And he talked about the seed of the woman crushing the head of the serpent. Devil, you're gonna get yours. And then he began to work with the people. And we watched it last year in the story. He's, he picked out Abraham and he said, I'm gonna give you a people, create you a large nation. And he worked through Moses and he talked about uh, a covenants where he was going to bless the nations of the earth through you, Abraham. And he sure did, which we're gonna see this morning. So that was the beginning of the plan, even in the garden. And in John 1, verses 1 through 3, look at this. In the beginning, here's how John starts his gospel. Not, and, and Moses, or, and, and, and Joseph, and, and Mary journeyed to Bethlehem. But in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he was, in the beginning, God was, uh, he was with God in the beginning. And through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has ever been made. Okay, let's just pick this apart. Be patient with me this morning. This is, this is good. I think it's important because every once in a while you get these people that knock on your door and they want to talk to you about Jesus. But this isn't the same Jesus. Their Jesus is one that was created in time and space for a purpose. This Jesus we're seeing was preexistent, and we're gonna, we're gonna go through that. So if you take notes here, you're gonna have a wonderful conversation with your neighbors who come knocking uh, in, their, in their nice outfits and they're wonderful people, but you, you'll have something to say to them, okay? Uh, uh, the word logos is what word is there, and its general meaning is a spoken word or account or explanation or thing. Okay, logos. Um, I think there's a Christian book company called Logos or Logos, okay? But the, the rich... Deep tradition of the Greek at that time, because this language was being written, the Bible and John's writing in the Greek language surrounded by Greek culture. And many believe that there's something deeper that John is saying here. In fact, the philosopher Heraclitus defined logos this way, the divine logic that gives order to the universe. That's that same word, logos. The divine logic that gives order to the universe. In the beginning was the divine logic. Logic that gives order to the universe. And his eternity, look at this, look at this. I just, I, I underlined or highlighted these four wases, okay? Look, at this is kind of interesting because I want you to see just a couple theological points here. 
by the way, this prologue is believed to be the, the deepest, most rich description of Jesus Christ and his personhood and his deity in all of the Bible. These 18 verses, they're rich. And we need to understand what they're saying, okay? Uh, uh, the, the, four, the four was is, it's, it's a form of a verb to be. And really what the was there is expressing timelessness in the original language, okay? And it'd probably be better read this way, okay? Instead of in the beginning was the word, it would be in the beginning always was the word. And the word always was with God. And the word always was God. And he always was with God in the beginning. We don't say it that way because it's a little confusing, but it's just, so next time you read, in the beginning was, remember, you can always put always was. He's eternal. He goes back beyond creation, before creation. And he was a part of it, we'll see here. So that's his, that's his eternity. Also, uh, look at this. Uh, John, John is saying in the beginning that for sure, but there's also in, in verse one, that there's an equality that's being brought forth here. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. Uh, that with here suggests literally the, the word equality there or with God, it, it, it says the word face to face, that the word is face to face with this God. And uh, eye to eye, uh, even line, not a one's inferior, one's superior, but just like this even eye to eye, face to face, there's this equality. Uh, and we see this borne out throughout the Gospel of John, his, his, his equality with God, his nature. Look at this. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. What's his nature? Literally, God was the Word, all right? The emphasis on God. In the beginning, uh, the Word was God, or you could flip that around, the yellow there, and put it in front of Word. God was the Word, that's what the language is saying, the original Greek text. And that's his nature. In the English, we might say, and the word was God himself. Now, keeping in mind, remember we just talked about was, always was, John is making this amazing, magnificent statement. Jesus, listen to this, Jesus existed eternally on an equality with God, even as God himself. Jesus is no small name. That's why I never use his name outside of praise or honor or prayer or worship because this name is above every name. And that's probably why when somebody gets all PO'd on the golf course, they don't say, oh, Buddha, or they don't say, oh, Muhammad, because all of darkness recognizes and trembles at the name of Jesus. And if that name can be defamed or belittled, they think that's gonna change something, it's not. But I just challenge you to take that, his name out of your vocabulary as you're working on those other words, you know what I mean? Like that golfer buddy I met, really nice guy. As you're trying to clean up you know, your conversation, you know, you know, outside of church as well as inside of church, just eliminate Jesus and Jesus Christ except for the glorification of God because his, his name is big. I mean, this is big stuff. This is what has changed the history of humanity. Even though humanity tries to screw it all up, the name of Jesus Christ has the power to transform and bring life and, uh, and is to be honored, okay? So uh, that's his nature. Uh, 
no small deal. Now, Gnosticism was a teaching that was being battled through the first few centuries, and it shows up in, in the, early, the early church and as, as uh, the early writers, you can just sense. And John was maybe dealing with Gnostic teaching, uh, which believed that, um, that there's these chain of emanations from God, that God uh, is perfect, and it's a dualism, that where God is is perfect, and where our world is is imperfect and all messed up and broken and impure and, and perverted, okay? which there's days it looks like that. And so then you have God creating like this string of these aeons, these gods, these little gods. And the further away that these gods are created from the God, this is Gnosticism, that then each one is diminished and diminished. And down here towards the end, they believe that Jesus was, was created. And because he was God, when he died on the cross, he cut out just before he actually died. Because they had all kinds of weird stuff. And you can almost see that John could be addressing this when he, when he says, uh, in the beginning, God created, and God is the fullness of deity, and, and, uh, and God was in nature. You could see that, that his nature being God and his equality with God. So it was, it was like God, all right? And I like this right here. The word became flesh in verse 14. So, what, what the scriptures teach, what John's telling us is there wasn't a diminishment of God. He was fully deity and fully man when he came, even as an infant. The word became flesh and made his dwelling. That's kind of like the tabernacle in the Old Testament, all right? They, that, that had kind of been no longer used, although they still had a temple, uh, but it was a new temple, a new tabernacle. And so God's presence, and that's where God would tabernacle with his people. It's where he would hang out with his people. So God continued, through Christ he came and he met with his people as never before. God the Son came and, and tabernacled with us. And we have seen his glory, John says, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh. So not just this powerful force, you know, not just this, this, this divine logic that gives order to the universe, but now that divine logic and powerful word that can literally create billions of stars and universes has now come and become flesh and become one of us so as to save us and reveal the Father to us and reveal a God who loves us and wants to restore our identity. All right, so uh, Merry Christmas, right? That's, that's the Christmas message that we somehow sneak in every year and we can have Christmas in September right now. All right, and look at this. Uh, in him, uh, uh, let's see if I got that. Let me just check and see. Yeah, I might've missed it. Let me just read this to you, okay? Uh, in him was life and that life was the light of all mankind and the light shines in the darkness, verses four and five, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now this this is what's so good, okay? In creation, the word spoke light into the physical darkness, right? That darkness hovering over the deep, right? You saw that. And in new creation, the word became flesh and brought life and light to our spiritual darkness. So the same word that spoke the worlds into order is speaking our world into order. The same word that brought something out of nothing is restoring our brokenness and making us something. The word made flesh, okay? The new creation, the word became flesh and brought life and light to our spiritual darkness. That's great news this morning. Until Jesus, darkness ruled. Israel had some light, 
But think of the dark world that God began to speak to Israel as he coveted with his people from Abraham to Moses and the, and the Ten Commandments and, and the law and then the prophets. And it's like the prophets were like moons in the darkness. But guess what? Today we can speak with all honesty and with all confidence that the son of righteousness has risen with healing in his wings. As the Old Testament prophet says, Jesus Christ, the word became flesh and he has brought with that light and life and wholeness and the darkness cannot stand against it. Do you, you, know what's the, you know what John is saying here? The lights have been turned on and we are living and we take this for granted. To live on the other side of the cross it was a dark place. Even though they, just read the Old Testament. It'll, it'll spaghetti your brain. I mean, you'll just be, oh my goodness, why are they? And, and on this side of the cross, like somebody came in and turned the lights on and darkness cannot push back a light bulb. The light bulb consumes, uh, consumes the darkness. And we're not talking about an LED light. We're talking about the sun, the S-O-N, S-U-N, son of righteousness coming. And he's bringing healing in his wings today. Good stuff. So, Jesus, breaking forth a new dawn, consuming our darkness. And, uh, and here's where the story gets really good, as we, uh, believe it or not, I, I think I only have two pages left here. No, this is my last page, and I'm only two and a half minutes over. Take a deep breath. Here we go. But this may take longer. All right. Here's, what, here's what's amazing about this story here. In John chapter 1, and as we go into verse 10 through 12 and 16, it says, it was in, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. All right. Uh, he, came, uh, he came to that which was his own. That was the Jewish people. He was born in Israel, did ministry many Israelites believe, many of his, his brothers and sisters and Jewish people believe, but many did not receive him. Get this. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. What's this saying? What's this saying to you? This is where we show up in the story. This is where we show up in the first eight, the prologue, the first 18 verses of John chapter one, because this is where restored lives and restored images and restored identity uh, and where welcome to the family of God comes in. And when John says to all who did receive him. The all was not just in the first century. The all is in the second century, the third century, the 15th century, the 19th century, and glory to the Lord, the 21st century. On 9-8-2019, he is still taking lives and transforming them and, and welcoming and adopting them into his family for those who receive his gift of life and salvation. All right, so that's the amazing part of this prologue, of this introduction, that we show up in it and grace on top of grace. Look at how the Amplified Version has verse 16. I like this. For out of his fullness, the superabundance of his grace and truth, that's his fullness, all right? We have all received grace upon grace, spiritual blessing upon spiritual blessing, favor upon favor, and gift heaped upon 
gift. I like the way the Amplified says it. I like the way the Apostle John wrote it. I like what that means for you and for me. I would like for you to stand with me. And let's close this morning. Grace on top of grace. Remember at Christmas time, we sing songs like Emmanuel, which means God with us. Emmanuel, God is with us. And I think of, uh, I think of verse 18, where John kind of finishes this introduction. He says, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, all right? who is himself God and is in closest relationship. Now, hear this with the Father. I don't think we've seen a Father sighting yet. Now we're seeing the Trinity. It wasn't a duality. It wasn't a docity. It is a three in one. We've seen the Spirit at creation. Of course, we're going to see big-time Spirit throughout John, the Holy Spirit being poured out upon the church. But we see the Father. And he has made him known, this son, the word made flesh. Now, if you're a student of the Old Testament, you'd say, well, there are kind of these God sightings. You know, Moses saw him up on the mountain. And, you know, Ezekiel, I think, saw him someplace. Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up, right? Maybe the elders of Israel saw God. But nobody... To this point, they maybe saw a theophany, they maybe saw a picture of Christ or a picture of God in some way. But John is saying, guess what? You have never seen Jesus. Or you should, you've never seen God like you're going to see God as I unpack this person of Jesus Christ and his life and his ministry. So we should have had this series before we went through the story because I think a lot of us were reading some of the story at 30,000 feet or 36,000 feet going, whoa, whoa, that's pretty intense. Are you sure? What, oh, what's going on here? What just happened in Canaan? How many are we supposed to kill him? Uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I'm just telling you, rest in this one thing, that this fall we can look at God through the lens of the Son, who is God, and who's gonna continuously say, if you've seen me, you see. In fact, here's what he said to Philip. Philip said, Lord, and this is 14. This is, this is the, a few hours from crucifixion. And he says, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, well, this has been three and a half years or whatever. Don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? So that's my prayer. That's our journey. That's our responsibility. That's our goal is to see the Father together, to discover the Father through the eyes of Jesus, to invite Jesus to show us slowly and methodically as we absorb John, as we absorb this mystical, deep, mysterious, simple, but profound gospel. Let's allow Jesus to reveal who God is to us in the coming weeks. Amen. 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 Okay, here's just, I want to pray for you, okay? There's one exclusive phrase that I just get a kick out of in the Gospel of John that's nowhere in the synoptics, okay? And it's this phrase here, the disciple whom Jesus loved. <laughs> it's like, really? Is John writing this and then saying about himself, 
the disciple whom four times or five times, Last Supper, the cross, the resurrection, the miraculous catch, and when Peter's restored, it just kind of jumps right in the, the, the narrative. The disciple who Jesus loved. And all the church historically identifies John, the, probably the youngest of the disciples, and he's going, won't mention his name. You won't find John's name in this, in the, in, in this gospel one at one place, but you'll, you'll find the one, the disciple who Jesus loved. And I think he put that in there just for you this morning because you are men and women, young and old, and you need to hear this this morning. Jesus Christ loves you. God the Father loves you with all his heart. You know, he's not some ogre up there waiting to beat the fire out of you and club you. He's a God that we're going to find and discover in Jesus in a fresh way who loved us so much that he gave his life. That whoever believes and receives him will not die, perish, be destroyed, but have not just life, yeah, life, but eternal life as well. Amen. You are loved. You are the disciple that Jesus loved. And if you're not a disciple, today's a great day to become a follower of Jesus Christ and be one of the disciples that Jesus just is mad about. He loves, he wants to hang out with you, he wants to lead you to the heart of God, he wants to transform, restore, and, uh, and, and bring healing into your world, amen? Thank you, Jesus, for this word and for this amazing gospel. And Lord, we invite you to carefully walk with us through these next few weeks, 10 weeks, 12 weeks, maybe on Sundays, maybe a couple more, Lord, that we could, uh, uh, get the clearest revelation of who you are, Jesus, and who God is in our lives. We invite healing and transformation. Holy Spirit, we, we, we ask of you that you would come and make this word become so alive and real in our lives and hearts, and that you would just, that you'd just shape us in this season. And we'd, become, we'd, we'd come out of this time together looking more and more like the Savior that we follow looking more and more like Jesus. We ask this, Lord, in your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. For more information about our church, check out our website at www.ridgeway.church.